Drew's already mentioned, uh, my name's Jonathan, one of the pastors here, and we are beginning uh, this week a, a five-week series on a Redeemer ministry strategies. So we're going to cover five things <clears throat> that we believe God is calling us to do in order to complete His mission uh, in our city. Uh, those of you who may be a little younger than, I don't know, 40, uh, might know the band uh, Dave Matthews, whose lead singer's name is Dave Matthews. Um, he has a song called So Much to Say, and uh, the kind of the chorus is so much to say, so much to say, so much to say, so much to say. That That's kind of me today. Uh, I have so much to say, so many things that I want to say, I'm not going to go for an hour. Uh, not even close to that. Um, just not even tempted to do that. Uh, and I have mercy on all of you to have to sit and listen to that. But I'm very excited about uh, this topic, uh, this strategy. And I think uh, very intentionally it's first in our list of five. Um, I want to ask some, some deep questions this morning, some questions that I think are very important. And some questions that I hope you, as you listen, will start to take through your ear, go into your brain, circulate down into your heart and ask, uh, what am I doing? Uh, why am I a part of, am I a part of what God is doing? So a couple of questions. Why does the church exist? Have you ever wondered that? Somebody ever asked you that? Uh, what's the mission of the church? Uh, a couple of things that I, I want to kind of draw to your attention here uh, before, well, actually, I'll read the text first uh, and then we'll get to these. Uh, but I want to define mission. I want to talk to you about Redeemer's mission statement, which, by the way, is on the front of the worship folder this week and will be for the next five weeks. So I'll draw your attention to that. Um, but let me go ahead and read the scriptures to you. Uh, there's an insert uh, if you're a guest with us, never been here before, on one side are the Scripture passages and on the other side is the outline. Uh, so you can read along there with me or it'll be on the screen behind me as well. So first, we're going to be jumping around as we've done uh, the last uh, couple of weeks uh, to some different passages to kind of underscore what it is we're talking about. So first, Genesis 12, to 3 Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And then from Matthew 28, 18-20. to and Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. And then from Luke chapter 4, And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight 
to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this Scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And then down to verse 42. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. For I was sent for this purpose. This is God's word for us this morning. I want to do first a definition or give you a definition. Uh, mission. This is the way I'm defining mission. It's a good way to define it. And as Drew mentioned last week, uh, we pastors like to steal. So I stole this from somebody much smarter uh, than I. But it goes like this. Our committed mission is this. Our committed participation as God's people at God's invitation and command in God's own mission within the history of God's world for the redemption of God's creation. Now, I've underlined a couple of things there that I do want you to uh, take note of. First is, mission is our participation in something that is not ours, it's God's. So the mission we have been called into is God's own mission. That's the second thing underlined. But we are participating in it, right? So the mission that I'm going to talk to you about this morning and the mission that's on the front of your worship folder is not Redeemer's mission. It is God's mission. It's an expression of God's mission that we believe has been given specifically to Redeemer uh, to carry out in our city and in our world. So to put it simply, because that's somewhat convoluted, I, I realize it is not that God has a mission for his church in the world. But that God has a church for his mission in the world. OK, so it's not it's not God having a mission for his church. It's God having a church for his mission, right? So what's primary? The mission. The church is just an instrument to carry out the mission. So let me ask you a question. Do you live as someone who is sent? Do you live as someone on a mission? The joke with the Blues Brothers, you know, we're on a mission from God kind of thing. The, the best illustration I can come up with is, you know, it's Christmas Eve or it's the 23rd and you run into a friend in the store and they don't bother to spend much time to say hi or converse. Probably me that you're meeting, right? They're not very joyful. That's an old joke. I actually am very joyful this morning about uh, this particular topic. Uh, but nonetheless, it's the 23rd, 24th, and you run into this person and they're very determined. They, they, it's almost like they've got those blinders on and they are straight down the aisle or straight down the mall hallway and they're not going to spend much time talking to anybody else. And you may stop them. What's going on? How you doing? I, I can't I can't talk. I'm in a hurry. I'm on a mission. I've got to find, you know, tickle me Elmo or I've got to find we whatever or I've got to find a Nintendo DS or I've got to. But I'm on a mission. What do they mean when they say that? They simply mean I've got a singular focus right now and nothing out here to either side is going to take me away from the singular focus that I have been given. Nine times out of ten. A man on the 23rd or 24th is running through the mall because he's been given a mission by 
his wife. You know, or he's on a mission to find something for his wife. But the point is, usually it's been given by somebody else. So do you live as someone who is been sent? Uh, Redeemer has very distinct and I would say unique core values and strategies trying to answer questions like, why are we here? What are we going to do to accomplish what God has sent us to accomplish? Well, here is our mission. It's on the front of the worship folder. It's coming. Maybe. My wife could figure it out. There we go. Our mission is our mission. Okay? To make Jesus' invisible kingdom visible in Winter Haven and the world. Uh, we have worded this intentionally. The church is not called to build or expand or to bring God's kingdom, but to enter and receive it and witness to its presence. We are not bringing the kingdom. Okay? It's already here. We are witnessing to the fact that it has landed. Right? It's like the 101st Airborne in uh, France or wherever it was that they landed. Right? Sorry, I don't know my World War II history as well as I should. But they were witnessing to the fact and the people around them could witness the fact they had landed. And now things were going to be different as a result. So our mission will require, right below the italicized portion there, that we be a praying community of Jesus' disciples who embody the truth of the Gospel and spread the Gospel in both word and deed. How? As one people, sharing life together. Drew will get into that in coming weeks. A holy people telling the story of our salvation. Terry will get into that in coming weeks. A people on mission serving our neighbors. That's what we're into right now. And then there will be two others regarding discipling one another and regarding church planting, which church planting, which Drew will get to in a few weeks, will dovetail really well with this. Because he's just going to talk about another aspect of mission. So that's what we've been called to do and to be. Now, it's an expression. And it says something about what we believe the church to be, but it also says something about what we believe the church not to be. Right? So, uh, I'm so glad we printed this for you on the front. Take this home. If this is the first time you've ever seen it, take it home, read through it. Read through it 10 or 15 times in a row. Pray through it. Ask God, is, is God, do you want me to be a part of this? And we'll get into to more of that as we go. So, uh, there's really four things. I apologize um, this week. There's four things. Number one, the basis for mission. Number two, the opposition to mission. And on the back of your, your outline here, you need to insert number three, the model of mission, Jesus. And then the goals of mission. Okay, so we've got the basis, the opposition, the model, and the goals. Okay, so here we go. The basis. The basis for mission is really the story of the Bible. Now, if somebody asks you, what's the Bible all about? What's the story of the Bible all about? How would you answer that question? Probably a hundred different answers to the question. But if, if, if we can kind of summarize the Bible, we'll summarize it in four big words. You can blank that out, babe. Thank you. Creation, fall, redemption, and consummation or restoration okay that's really the bible those four words okay so now you've got your pat answer that when anybody asks you tomorrow or this week what's what what's the bible all about anyway you christians believe the bible what's it about you could just there's four words for them now a little bit more 
specific, I want to quote a guy by the name of uh, Chris Wright. He says this, the whole Bible could be portrayed as a very long answer to a very simple question. What can God do about the sin and rebellion of the human race? Genesis 12 through Revelation 22 is God's answer to the question posed by the bleak narratives of Genesis 3 to 11. Or, another way to put it is, Genesis 3 to 11 sets the problem that the mission of God addresses from Genesis 12 to Revelation 22. There you go, everybody. That's the Bible right there. Genesis uh, 1 and 2, creation. Genesis 3 to 11, it has gone to pot. It has gone to hell in a handbasket. What's going to be done about that? Genesis 12, 1, 2, and 3 is God's answer. And the rest of the Bible, and I would say the rest to right now, and through all the way until the consummation, is about God restoring the earth. It is about God correcting the sin and rebellion of the human race. Now, a lot of times, you ask people, how do you read the Bible? They say, well, it's kind of like an answer book on how to live, or it's, it's kind of like a medicine chest. I look in it occasionally to find solutions when I come into problems in life. That's really all the Bible is for many folks. Or it's a way to find fire insurance, right? Fire insurance. You know, I, I need to learn how to not go to hell. This guy over here is telling me I'm going to go to hell if I don't confess Jesus. I confess Jesus. Great. I'm safe now. Wonderful. The problem with that is this. Let me quote uh, again a guy named Tim Keller. He's a pastor in New York. Very smart man. He says this. The Bible is not primarily about how an individual can escape this material world. Jesus is not ultimately saving individual souls by removing them from the world but rather he's bringing the life and power of God, the kingdom of God, back down into the material world to eventually renew and restore it completely. So we say the kingdom of God has broken in. It's landed, right? Do you understand that? That statement, when I heard him say it, I stopped the tape, I rewound it, I got my fingers ready, and then I was dictating. Because I wanted to write down exactly what it was he said. Because that was profound to me. And it just sounds cool. And I'm just, you know, into things that sound cool, usually that I don't say, right? So Jesus is bringing the life and power of God, the kingdom of God, back down into the material world to renew and restore it. So if this is so, if this is true, if we believe that what he's just said is correct, then mission is primary. Okay, did you hear that? Mission is primary. Everything in your life is defined by Jesus' mission and the reality of God's kingdom having broken in. If this is true, if, 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 you, if you signed up for this, then everything in your life is subject to the fact that God's kingdom has broken in and is restoring, renewing the whole creation. It is not simply a program of the church. It's the church's reason for existing. Everything we do, everything we do should support or reinforce or promote the mission of God in the world. And the next four weeks that we're going to talk about, there will be aspects that you will see how those other four things are reinforcing what we believe 
God's mission for us as an as a particular group of people in Winter Haven uh, has has created. So, the basis for mission is the story of the Bible, but the basis for mission is also, more specifically, the the call of God, or the, the story of God, and the call of God. And I read a couple of God's calls from Genesis 12, from Matthew 28. These could be called the great commissions of the Old Testament and the New Testament. So next time somebody asks you, where's the Great Commission? You say, which one? There's two. There's one in the Old Testament. There's one in the New Testament. In Genesis 12, you have God saying to Abraham, go and be a blessing. In Matthew 28, you have Jesus saying, go and make disciples. Go and call people to believe in my mission. Mark them with baptism and begin teaching them how to live as a part of my kingdom. That's kind of the uh, Jonathan paraphrase there. But in a sense, that is what he's saying. And even Mark 16, 15, Mark, which scholars believe is probably the first gospel written. This is not the Great Commission we quote very much. But as I'm reading through and I found this, I'm blown away because, well, I'd never really thought about it. In Mark 16, 15, Jesus says, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Hmm, that's interesting. Because that implies that the gospel is for the whole creation. The gospel is going to do something on behalf of, it's going to correct or restore or renew the whole gospel. Excuse me, the whole creation needs the gospel is the implication in Jesus' words there. So God has given us a specific call to carry out his mission. It goes all the way back to Genesis 12. You get the you get a picture of it in all of its fullness and glory in the in the final setting, if you will, in Revelation. Uh, but that being God's plan all the way back from the 12th chapter of the Bible, it was to do something about the sin and rebellion and curse on all of creation. You'll recall the curse that God uh, gave in Genesis 3. What did, who did He curse? He cursed the woman in her womb. Okay, In pain, you'll, you'll, endure, you'll endure, endure childbirth. Okay, Autumn, can we get an amen? Okay, Autumn's Clipper's uh, pregnant. She's very sick. Every morning. Every morning. You can thank the curse for that. Okay? God is correcting that curse. He cursed the ground. So, we have bugs that eat our vegetables. And we have to do something about that. He cursed Adam and He said, you're going to work and you're going to work and by the sweat of your brow, you're going to work. All of this curse, God begins in Genesis 12 to correct. And He started with an old old, barren couple with no children. And He would ultimately bring out of the loins of Abraham and Sarah the son of Abraham who would leave heaven itself to come and bear our curse. And He would ultimately bring, bring blessing to the whole creation. In fact, He would bring blessing to every nation. And that is Jesus Christ. But we have not yet reached the, the consummation. We haven't yet reached Revelation 22. We're still in that period where we see a lot of sin, we see a lot of brokenness, but we also see 
signs that the kingdom has arrived. Max uh, Routen gave his report of Uganda last week, and he said, you know, I was very impressed by a lot of what's going on, by what the church and the people of God are doing to alleviate the curse, to renew the creation, to renew families, relationships, to plant churches. But I was also very distressed. So I saw signs of the kingdom, but I also see that we're not yet there. And it's that way everywhere. So because we haven't reached it, there is opposition. And there's opposition in, in several ways. I want to be clear here. Uh, I believe very strongly Satan is real, that he has an army, and his army is bent on, hell-bent on, destroying the work of God. And so every inch of creation, you have Jesus saying, mine, mine, Mine. And you have Satan saying, mine, mine. And they're battling it out. Now, rest assured, we know who's going to win. And we know who already has won. At least to a degree. But Satan is very real. And so the opposition to mission is very real. But sometimes it's kind of subtle. Because one of the biggest oppositions to mission is the sin of consumerism and individualism. Personal self-fulfillment. Happiness. What's your mission in life? Well, it's to go to college and get a good job and get married and have kids. And, you know, I don't want my kids hooked on drugs. That's not very good. And I don't want to get divorced. And, you know, I want to make a good living and have a pretty stacked 401k. You know, after all, you never know when a hurricane's going to come through and Ruin your house. Maybe you need to put a new roof on, pay for the air conditioner. You know, and just want to be happy. That's most people. Uh, and here's what's really sick. I was in Books a Million on vacation in Port Charlotte. And I go in the Christian inspiration section. And most of the books that are not like, you know, uh, where you can see the spine, because those aren't the really important ones that they want you to buy. You know, the ones they want you to buy are the ones that are face forward, but you can see the front, right? You with me? Maybe you're not as frequent to a bookstore as some of us nerdy kind of people. But if you are, you know what I'm talking about. All the books in the Christian section that were right there for everybody to buy, you can fulfill God's dream for your life today. Buy this book, of course. And they love to couch it in terms of the secret to real living. I mean, at the end of the day, it's about you pursuing your dreams, your personal goals, your fulfillment. It's not about something bigger than you and about you figuring out where do I fit in into this grand, huge, enormous thing that's out here that I need to... I'm, I'm just one little teeny tiny part of it. It's I am this gi big, ginormous, great thing and i got to figure out how God has equipped me to carry that out in the scope of my life. That's all it is. Personal fulfillment. And what that turns into a lot of times is Christianity is really what you do on Sunday or maybe what you do in private as you read the Bible or as you pray. It's not something that gets taken with you into your business or into your public life or into anything where you might be facing a challenge or where you might have to speak up for who Jesus is is where you might have to give an account 
for the mission. Because many, many times Christians look no different from the world. Comfort, security, they're, they're primary for us. And as long as our circumstances are good and they're going fine, we're happy. The minute they turn bad, we get mad. And so, we have a, a huge problem with the sin of individualism and consumerism. Because even many times we want to come to the church, right? What is the church going to do for me? What is the church going to give me so that I can then go and live my life and be happy? Now, what's, who, who's, the, who's the center of all of that? You. Rather than saying, what am I going to do to get in line to figure out where I fit in in the mission of God that He has given to this church, that church, whatever the church may be? That's a huge problem. It's an enormous opposition to mission. And I want you to think about this. If you have a military background or you know anything about the military. I mean, if you're in a unit that's been given a mission and you know whenever they interview them on TV, our mission is to this. Now, what does that mean? That means that those guys and gals, whatever their mission is, all their personal needs and wants and desires get put to the back burner because the mission in front of them is most important. You don't hear military guys getting interviewed on the news and saying, well, you know, if I wish Secretary Gates would get us some better bottled water because I've got uh, irritable bowel syndrome and if I don't if I don't drink the right water, it really bothers me. And then, you know, I, I just I can't sleep at night. You don't hear those guys talk like that. You hear them talk about the mission that the unit that the big group has been given because that's what's most important. It's not them and their little individual love of their happiness. That's a bunch of garbage to the military. But I'll tell you what, that's why the military is so good at what they do. Because they train, they train, they train, and as a unit, they're very cohesive, and they accomplish their mission because they are one. So, that's a big problem for us. Individualism, consumerism. But also... It's misunderstanding our relationship to the world. If you look at John 17, you don't have to turn there. John 17, 15 to 18. In John 17, you have Jesus praying what's commonly called his high priestly prayer. It's toward the end of his life. And it is an amazing, amazing prayer. But those four verses just blew me away this week. He says in those verses, we are not to be of the world. We are not to be out of the world. But he says we are to be into the world. As the Father has sent me, so now I have sent them into the world. In Mark 16, Jesus says, go into all the world. Now, you and I oftentimes can misunderstand our relationship to the world. We can, on the one hand, be too attracted to the world because our lives don't end up looking that different. We can be easily seduced by the world's system of thought or success or purpose. And so we might call ourselves Christians, but as we've seen the last nine or ten weeks in the fruit of the Spirit, we haven't experienced supernatural transformation. So our lives on the surface look very similar. We're, 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 the general tenor is impatience, we're insecure, we're very self-righteous. Now on the other hand, we can withdraw from the world. Usually out of fear or 
because we just completely disdain those are who, those who are different from us. We, we don't want to be around people who are different from us. So we move into neighborhoods where everybody looks like us or talks like us or, or drives the same car as we do. Or we, 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 we seclude ourselves. Uh, we call this holy huddleism, right? You've heard of this. Holy huddles. So we can, we can, we can be too attracted by the world. We can completely withdraw from the world. But the gospel gives us a balanced view of the world. Look at what Jesus says in verse 17. He says, sanctify them in the truth. This is John 17, 17. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. Jesus asks that the gospel would produce in us the fruit of the Spirit, making us people of love and joy and peace, patient, kind, gentle, self-controlled, which definitely makes us not of the world, but the gospel also produces humility and security, and it boldly takes us into the world. So we're not afraid of the world. We're not scared to get in there and engage with the world because we are sent. We move into the lives of those in need. We move into the lives of those who are hurting, of those who are different from us, sometimes radically different from us, because the holiness of the gospel is being produced in us. The gospel's changing us. It is taking us from a person who's obsessed with ourselves to a person who now sees themselves as sent by God to perform a mission that he has been or that he has given us. So if this is the opposition, that is individualism, consumerism. And not understanding how we relate to the world, if this is the opposition, then how can we adequately be equipped to participate in his mission? Well, this is number three, the model. We must look to the model, Jesus himself. Jesus understood that he had been blessed by the Father in order to be a blessing. And so he went. He went. God said, go. Sound familiar? He said the same thing to Abram. Go. Because he knew it was the only way that sin and rebellion could be broken. He had to go. And here's the thing. Jesus would faithfully live out God's call to Abram. Through him, every tribe, every tongue, every people, every nation would be blessed. Jesus wasn't just born. He was sent. There's a big difference. Go back to the question. Do you live as a person who's been sent? That implies some sort of intentionality. You do things for a reason. Jesus did everything because he was sent. How was he sent? As the Father has sent me, so I have sent them. How was he sent? In what way? Well, Luke 24, verse 19 says, He was a man mighty in word and in deed. His mission, his life, consisted of words and deeds. The church's mission is no different. Why was he sent? Well, we read it. Luke 4, 16 to 21. 42 to 43. Why was Jesus sent? Here it is. To announce that the kingdom of God was here, that it had landed. Jesus was sent to let everyone know, humankind, demons, the powers, the principalities, to make it known that God's renewal had begun. Why do you think the demons were so afraid of him? Why do you think the demons knew wherever he went, who he was? Because they knew it started. Game on, so to speak. 
And beginning with Jesus, the world was going to become, by His power, a different place. A place, in fact, that He had always meant it to be. Read Genesis 1 and 2. Would you want to live there? Rather than where we live now? I know I would. Jesus was sent. Have you met Him? If you have met Jesus, there's no escaping His call to follow Him on His mission. If your life isn't being lived according to this pattern, are you sure you've met Him? An encounter with the God of mission. This is amazing. Listen. Listen. If you've tuned out, listen now. An encounter with the God of mission always results in a life of mission. I stole this from Tim Keller this week because it was amazing. Listen. When Abram comes to experience the reality of God in Genesis 12, what does God say? I'm going to bless you and you're going to be a blessing. Now what? Go. Where am I going? I'll let you know when you get there. Okay? Abram. Moses. He calls him over to the burning bush. Ooh, a bush that's burning, but it's not consumed. Wow. Moses, I'm God. Now go. No, you go. I'll give you the words to speak. Isaiah. Isaiah 6. He experiences the glory and wonder of God and the train of His robe fills the temple and everything is shouting, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty. And he, he gets a coal from the altar of God, sears his lips, and what is the next thing out of God's mouth? Who will go? And what does Isaiah say? Send me. I'm in. I'm in. And then there's Paul, who experiences the reality of the risen Christ on the road to Damascus. He goes back. And what does Paul become? Go and be my light to the Gentiles. And you have the greatest church planter in the history of the church. Everybody, if you encounter God in the reality that He is, in all of His glory, it will always produce, it will always result in a life of mission. A life of being sent. God draws you in, but He never draws you in to bless you without in turn, almost immediately sometimes, sending you right back out. So He draws you in. You're feeling nice and secure and comfortable. Oh, God is blessing me. Oh, this is so nice. Oh, wonderful. Oh, the burning bush. Oh, I'm having such a great experience with God. And then He says, go. He says, go out of your comfort zone. Get out of your Father's country. And if you're unwilling to risk, if you're unwilling to lose things, then you cannot be a blessing to other people. Look at what Jesus gave up. Look at the glory of heaven that Jesus left in order to come and bless the nations. The only way we are ever going to be equipped to participate in something that's this enormous, this all-encompassing, this global, is if we are full of the Gospel. If we are sanctified by His truth. And then we will be catapulted out to attempt great things for Him in Winter Haven and the world. Now, I'm almost done. I want to finish with two goals. Two quick goals for mission. Number one, and that is worship. Worship. When Jesus was asked what's the greatest commandment, He said what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And what? Number two, love your neighbor as yourself. The first goal of mission is worship. 
The church is witnessing to the reality of worship now. We sing the song that you read about in Revelation. Revelation 7. I saw a multitude from every tribe, tongue, people, and nation singing, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. We are witnessing to that. We are singing that song even now. God's mission is that men, women, and children from every tribe and tongue and people would worship Him because He is the Lord. Salvation belongs to Him. Not to anyone else. Not to anything else. It belongs to Him. And everywhere the church exists, this song exists. This is why we plant churches. One of the reasons. Number two goal of mission is renewal. To not only teach people, not only see people love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, but to love their neighbor as themselves. To renew the whole world. Revelation 21 talks about the new city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven onto the earth and renewing everything. Here's the thing. Most religions of the world teach some form of escapism, right? If I do these things, I will then achieve paradise or I will then go off into the clouds or I'll then go experience something. Because the physical world's passing away. It's, it's a very low view of the physical world. Other people say, no, the world is fine. If we just try hard enough or volunteer enough or lobby the government hard enough, things will change. That's not Christianity. Either one of those. The Gospel is the only news honest enough to admit how corrupt and wicked the world is, so much so that God Himself had to come and fix it. But the Gospel is also the only news good enough to actually change the world. The Gospel teaches us that we don't change the world. God is on a mission to change the world through us. And the Gospel is the only thing, it's the only message powerful enough to do that. Revelation 21 doesn't say that we all float up to the pearly gates to float on clouds and play harps forever and ever. I don't know about you, that doesn't sound fun to me. What it does say is, the new Jerusalem comes down out of heaven on the earth and the whole thing is restored. Now that sounds like a party. That sounds good. Let's go with Revelation 21. That's what it says. Because our hope is a new city and a new earth. God's mission is nothing short of renewing the whole creation. So the church's call is to do things like feed the hungry, plant churches, build houses for the homeless, care for those who can't care for themselves, speak against injustice and exploitation. Because Jesus said, I am making all things new. Now, are you overwhelmed? Does, does, does hearing that just absolutely overwhelm you, blow your mind? I cannot believe it's that big. It is that big. But we have a Savior who is that big. Who has come, who has left the glory of heaven, who has given up to go and be a blessing. And you and I have experienced that blessing. Let us go and be a blessing to everyone that we meet in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do stand in awe of You that You would leave. That You would leave as You called Abram to leave. That You would leave Your Father's house. That You would leave the, the glories of heaven. That You would leave the praise of angels to come 
and give up and sacrifice ultimately your own life so that we might have life, so that we might experience the blessing that you promised Abraham to be so many, many years ago. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would equip us, that you would remind us every morning when we wake up that we are a people who have been sent, that our lives are about something so much bigger than our lives. Equip us, we pray, to be a blessing to Winter Haven and ultimately to the world for your glory and for your great name's sake, we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.